you this morning. Uh, we've been studying the kingdom of God lately and how it touches our lives. We started the year back in January talking about Matthew 4, 17, where Jesus, near the beginning of his ministry, he said to the people around him, and, and in fact, his, his continuing message through his preaching was, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so we talked about what does it mean for the kingdom of heaven to come near? Well, a kingdom is a realm that has a king and it has a way of living that is defined by the king. And a kingdom also has people. Sometimes those are called subjects here in the earthly kingdoms. But a kingdom has a king and a way of living and it has people who follow the king. It's kind of that sort of thing. Any of you growing up, did you ever have a parent say, well, I don't care what you do when you're at Bobby's house, but as long as you live under my roof, You ever hear that? Did you ever say that? Well, that whole under my roof thing, you're in a little kingdom there. There's somebody who's in charge. It's mom or it's dad often if you're the kid interacting that way. And these are the house rules. Well, God, as our heavenly father, also has some house rules. And that's part of what God's kingdom is. God is our king. He has a way that he expects his people to live. And we, as his people, follow after him and live that way. Now, kingdom awareness has ramifications for how we live. Kingdom awareness has ramifications for the ways that we think about marriage. We talked about that a few weeks ago. For how we think about families, how we think about and interact with children and all the other people in our world. We want to live out all the areas of life with God's kingdom as our central agenda. That's what it means to be a Christian. We want to live out what God has said and done. We want to discover God's purpose for us. We want to see what God is doing in us. And we want to follow after God's agenda because he is our king. And we are the people of his kingdom. Now, this can be hard to think about sometimes because God's kingdom is not a physical reality yet. We're told in the scriptures, especially as we look forward to ends of times, we read things like Revelation and we see how there will be a new heaven and a new earth. All evil and death and pain will be wiped away and there'll be no more tears in anyone's eyes. We know that's coming. That will be a reality, but it's not here yet. And it can be difficult for us to think about what does God's kingdom look like today, right here, as we are still in this world where there is a lot of things that are not in alignment with God's agenda. There's a coming day when God's reign will be physical and fully delivered, but it's not here yet. In Ephesians chapter 2, The Apostle Paul, speaking to these people who are a church, these are believers, these are Christians, he says, you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The Apostle Paul says, all of you Christians, there was a time when you were dead in all your sins because you used to follow the ways of the world, you used to follow the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now this is after Jesus lived and died on this earth and rose again to heaven. We know that Jesus is Lord. We know that Paul was saved who wrote Ephesians. We know that the people in the church at Ephesus were saved, but Paul writes to them and says, there was a time when you were just following the kingdom of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Satan. He says, there was a time that you were sold out to him. God is the king and God has established his kingdom in the spiritual realms, but there was a time when all of you didn't acknowledge that. You didn't follow that. And you followed after the ways of the world and the ways of Satan. And those categories are still in play. God has not wiped out Satan yet. And we're still living on, a, on an earth that is under the power in many ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Satan has not been fully put aside yet. People get to choose. Are we going to follow God, our ultimate king? And are we going to live according to the standards of his kingdom? 
Or are we just going to follow after Satan and the ways of the world? We are still in an era where we have choices to make about that. And the encouragement that I'm bringing to you is follow God. Always follow God's kingdom. Get out of this whole kingdom of the world thing with this, this whole way that Satan would have us to live. But Paul wrote to the Ephesians and says, all of you followed that way. Paul then gets really personal in Ephesians 2, 3. He says, all of us, all of us who are believers also lived among that category, those ways of the world at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul says all of us deserve the anger and damnation of God. But then in Ephesians 2, 4, he says, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our sins, it's by grace we have been saved. So Paul is saying to this church, he says, all of you were a sinful mess, but God did something that changed you. He gave us new life and he forgave us of our sins. And now we can live for Christ. What he's saying is you used to live in the kingdom of the world following the ruler of the air. Now you have been saved by God, live in God's kingdom. And so that message delivered by Paul 2,000 years ago is the same one that I echo today. You, if, if you've been saved, you've been delivered from a life of, of just hopelessness and despair, living by the categories of the world with all the fickleness and injustice that comes along with it. You've been delivered from that. I mean, we still live here in this place, but we don't live under the authority of the ruler of darkness. We live under the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that means that we can rise above all this stuff that's happening around us. Though Satan and evil are still at work in the world for a while, God is our king. God's agenda is our agenda. God's standard is our standard. God's kingdom has, through Jesus Christ, come near. And that's what we live by. Every other authority and law and trend must be, for the Christian, checked against what our God says, because he is our king. When you're a kid, you follow the rules that your parents give you as long as they don't contradict what God is telling us. When you're an adult, we follow the rules that are around us. We pay our taxes and we, we, we don't break the laws. As long as, as long as that's all, as long as that's all in agreement with the word of God. Now, this whole kingdom idea is wrapped up in our church's mission statement. Just in case you're foggy, I wanted to put it up on the screen here. Our mission statement here at Waterway Church, and we talked about this in our explorers class this morning, our mission is to help everyone we know become more like Jesus. There's a lot of stuff baked into that, right? We want to help. We can't do it. God is the one who does the working. But we want to help everyone we know. We can't touch everybody. There's people that don't know us. We have no influence over their world or their life. But everybody we know, we want to help them become more like Jesus. That means for those of you who have been Christians a lot longer than me, I want to help you become more like Jesus. And I hope as part of this church, you're helping me become more like Jesus. And for the people that are not in this building yet, that are not part of this fellowship yet, but you know them, you have contact with them out there in your school, in your job, in your world, at your games. For those people who don't know Jesus at all, we want to help them become more like Jesus too by learning about this salvation thing and being saved. That's step one. And then by realizing why God loves them and why God built them and how they can work out their gifts, that's step two. We want to equip the old in faith to go and serve. Those people who have been following God for a long time, what do you do that for? Not just so you can come in here and sit every Sunday morning and have a good time for a couple hours building yourself up. No, it's so that, so that you can go back out to your world 
going and serving people so that they can become more like Jesus. This is our mission here. We want to help everyone we know become more like Jesus. We want to equip the old in faith to go and serve. And then we want to, we want to teach those who are young in faith. We want to teach those who are young in faith to grow in understanding and in practice. Right? There, there are some who are not ready to go out and serve yet because there are people tell me, I'm just a brand new Christian. I'm just, I don't even know my Bible yet. I just know that God came after me. And, and I know that I was a wreck. And so I asked God to forgive me and he forgave me. And now God is the Lord of my life. Teach me what this means. Right? We want to help the young in faith grow in their understanding and their practice so that those young in faith are soon old in faith and can go and serve. And we keep building disciples and building disciples. This is our mission here. Why? Because Jesus came to earth and lived as a human being. He is God's son. And when he lived on earth, he showed us what it means to live for God, to live for the king. Jesus made it possible for us to be saved, to be forgiven of our sins, so that we could be one with God as he was one with God. And Jesus showed us how to live. We want to help everyone we know now become more like Jesus. And it's only be able to... Excuse me. Let me try that again. It's only possible to become more like Jesus because God helps us to do so. Remember, God is perfect and we are not. There are, there are no good people. Yesterday, there was a funeral in this room. In fact, yesterday at this time, there was a congregation here and there was, there was a dead body in a casket right here on our floor reminding all of us that our time is going to come. And yesterday I talked, it was John Weaver's funeral was yesterday. I'm sorry for a few of you. John was not a member of our church. John was just a neighbor and they used our, they used our building for a funeral. Yesterday I reminded people that, that all of us are going to have to face a physical death unless the Lord Jesus comes first. And all of us have to face the fact that we're not good guys and we're not good ladies. There is no one who is good. A young man came to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, good? Jesus said, only God in heaven is good. There is no one who is righteous, no person who is good. All of us, all of us are sinners. By default, by default, our hearts are wicked. We are born under sin, but also by our individual action, all of us have sinned at one time or another. We've gotten selfish. We've, we've pulled things towards ourselves, and, and we, also, we also struggle under the burden of sins that happened before us in other eras and other generations. So we are, we are absolutely fallen, church. There are none of us who are good people who have earned our way into God's grace. We are weak. God knew this. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Because God wants to be in fellowship with us. And he knew that with our sin in place, there could be no close fellowship. Sin divides us from our perfect creator. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life on this earth. He was nailed to the cross. He died for our sins as a sacrifice for us. And he offered salvation and new life to all who believe in him. And for those who receive new life through Jesus, he also sent the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit fills our hearts and fills our minds and can direct us. We're created by God, saved through the work of Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what do we do now? We live that out. We live for our God. We live as subjects of his kingdom because no other kingdom is worthy of our lives. No other kingdom can take away our sin and set us free and bring us close to God. We live for God, our King, and he is supreme above all. Okay, that's all prelude. That's all warm up here. That's just a reminder of our gospel because we can't forget why we do all this. 
It's because we need the Lord and the Lord sent his son, Jesus Christ for us. And he's the only way to real life and real salvation. But now there are so many of you in the room who are already saved. You're saying, I've checked that box. I've been forgiven of my sins and I continue. When I make mistakes, I ask God to forgive me and and I am forgiven and I am made whole and, and I'm being built up close to God. What do I do now? Well, let me get really particular this afternoon. Um, Nope, not yet, this morning. Let me get really particular about one of the instructions of Jesus. Part of Jesus' instruction was on how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins instructing his disciples on how to pray. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites. The beginning of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't say one thing and do another. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites, pray like this. And in Matthew 6, 9, we have the introduction of what many of us now call the Lord's Prayer. He says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And if this doesn't say, sound the way that you exactly remembered it in Sunday school, it's because this comes out of the New International Version. You may have memorized a different version from the scriptures. But Jesus says to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see what Jesus is doing. He's orienting us and telling us we are to be focused on God's kingdom. Let's God's kingdom come. We want things to be on earth as they are in heaven. Why do we have to pray for that? Because it's not real yet. It hasn't happened yet. So pray for this, Jesus says. Verse 11 of Matthew chapter 6. Let's pray to give us today our daily bread. It's good to ask God for things. There's nothing wrong with asking for the things we need right? So acknowledge God, hallow his name, recognize that his kingdom, we want it to come. Let God's will be done on earth. It is in heaven. Lord, give us today our daily bread. And then verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. How many of you learned that phrase of this prayer with different words in it? How many of you maybe learned, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, right? Some of you, that's the same as debts and debtors. Our debts, I owe something to God because I sinned and I forgive all those people who owe something to me. It's the same meaning, different words. How many of you grew up hearing, um, forgive us our trespasses as those who have trespassed against us, right? The same kind of thing, our trespasses. What's a trespass? I've gone somewhere I shouldn't be. I've done something I shouldn't do. It's a trespass. Forgive me, Lord, for that, for my sins, for my debts, as I have forgiven everyone who has trespassed against me. Jesus says, this is how you pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then verse 13, this is how the prayer wraps up as Jesus spoke it. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this is, not, this is not what we're just supposed to pray word by word. Jesus doesn't say only pray this way, but he gives a framework, right? These are the things that we touch on. Recognizing God, honoring him, asking for his kingdom to come, asking for the basics of what we need, and asking us for the strength to live out God's kingdom, forgiving those as we have been forgiven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's how Jesus taught people to pray. But then he followed up that prayer. And this is what's really interesting to me. And this is what I want to think about for the rest of the time with you today. He followed up that prayer with a further clarification of one part of the prayer. Look at verses 14 and 15. Jesus goes back and clarifies. He doesn't clarify everything else. But in the book of Matthew, we have this clarification. He says, If you forgive other people, verse 14, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. It's another way of saying, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors, right? If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. How many of you, if we stop right there, say, hey, that sounds good. That makes sense. I'm at peace with that. I'm at ease with that, right? We like that. Sounds fair. But this next one, I'm going to submit to you, it's just as fair and it's just as good, but I'm going to, I'm going to bet it doesn't feel as nice. The next one, verse 15. Jesus says to his followers there, and it's been saved in Scripture for all time, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's an interesting clarification, isn't it? I mean, after Jesus gives this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Jesus, there was a lot of stuff that he could have gone further, that Matthew could have written down perhaps about what Jesus instructed. But this is the one that's brought out. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. And we say, good, I'll forgive other people and God will forgive me, good bargain. But then there's this, frankly, quite scary warning. If you don't forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, if you need clarity on what it means to be part of God's kingdom versus any other, this can help, right? This shows the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. See, the kingdom of the world has a different set of standards than this, right? How much of the, how much of the world is telling you, just forgive, just forgive? Do you remember, oh man, it's, it's, been, it's been a number of years now, more than most of us realize. Do you remember the terrible events that happened in nickel mines? when those Amish children were killed some years ago. A terrible, terrible, evil event. But do you remember, and this is one of the things that really, really struck me, do you remember after that happened, do you remember how those Amish families who were touched and that Amish community that was, that was so wronged, do you remember how they had said, and they didn't do it to make a big show about it, but the press caught it and talked about it. Do you remember how they said, we, we forgive. We forgive the man who did this. They didn't say he was right or that it was okay, but they said, we forgive him. And do you remember, I can still remember this, and maybe this is like just seeing things through pastor's eyes, but I can remember how many people were shocked and astonished that these Amish folks, who they mostly know, most of the world knows the Amish as those peculiar people you go to see in Lancaster County, but they were blown away by these people who said, no, we forgive him. Why were they blown away? Because most people in the world don't forgive the shooter. How many people in this room forgive the shooter? I mean, this is a big challenge, right? These are the kind of things that, that help us to remember that when we live according to God's kingdom and God's call, it's going to look differently than what most people out there, wherever out there is, it's going to look differently than what most people out there live by. And at that moment, at that moment, those Amish folks were a beautiful picture of what Jesus calls all of us to do. They forgave. They forgave. Now, what does it mean to forgive? Because maybe, well, that, maybe, that's, maybe that was just a publicity stunt. <laughs> Right? I mean, there's all kinds of ridiculous things that people said. That can't be real. What are they doing that for? 
Why are they, they, they can't really mean it. Or, or maybe they're just denying it and they're denying their pain and squashing it down and not really dealing. There's all kinds of craziness as people responded to that. But a lot of people really saw something, something powerful there. So what does it mean for us to forgive? I mean, Jesus simply said, if you don't forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive you. We ought to be forgiving people of their sins against us, right? What's that look like? Well, is, is forgiving the same as forgetting? Not exactly. That's, that's more of just an earthy, I forgive and I forget. No, forgetting doesn't get wrapped up. Does it, set, does it set me up for being hurt again? Is that what forgiveness does? How do I both forgive and practice boundaries? These are difficult questions, right? Lots of things that we can talk through. And if you have struggles with any of those, talk to me. I'd love to talk to you some more. But there are some really easy things that we can strike out. It means that if we are going to be people who forgive, it means that we can never say the following. We can never say, I don't get mad, I don't get even. I don't get mad, I get even. Those people who say that, that is not a Christ-like attitude. And those folks are in danger of not being forgiven by God. Because what did Jesus say very clearly and unequivocally? If you don't forgive those who sit against you, you will not be forgiven by God. I don't get mad, I get even. If you got that bumper sticker on your car, take it off today. <laughs> take it off. There's no room for that. There is no room. If we're to be people who actually forgive the way God forgave us and think about what God has forgiven you for, if we're going to be people who actually forgive the way God forgave us, we can't hold grudges. Movies are made about the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? Any of you descended from any of those Hatfields and McCoys? We chuckle about that. But honestly, how many, how many feuds are there in the world outside of these walls between families, between communities, between nations that just keep coming up over and over? Why? Isn't it because people can't forgive each other? But what does Jesus say? If you're going to be forgiven by God, you've got to forgive others. We play with this forgiveness thing so often. Oh, that forgiveness. Yeah, but I really hold a grudge. That is unchristian and it has to stop. Yeah, but our family, we've never liked them and we're just going to keep, no, no, we don't keep that feud going. Jesus says, you want to follow God, your king? You want to be forgiven? There's a different way to live. Violence, how much of the violence that we see is just people who cannot forgive someone else and so not knowing what else to do or anything else that might help, they rash, they, they reach out and they lash out in ways that hurt and maul and kill and destroy what does Jesus say? I mean, his words are very clear. If you don't forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And Hans, could you back me up to verse 14, the verse right before that? If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Jesus says you must be forgiving people if you're going to be God's people who are already forgiven. Some of the objections or questions that come up. Well, then who needs to be forgiven? Who are the people I need to forgive? Well, you need to forgive everybody who hurts you. Everybody, they need to be forgiven. It doesn't mean that you invite them back into your life and say, hey, come up and please hit me again. But you need to forgive them for when they did hit you. Then you can put boundaries in place and say, and because of what you've done, now I'm moving away from you for a moment. Forgiveness is not exactly the same as restoration. Now, God forgives us, and God brings us back into fellowship with him, but God also has some very clear lines of how we behave with each other. Some of you need to forgive the people that hurt you, even though you're going to continue to keep distance from them because they're still a mess. 
But do we need to forgive them? Yeah. Jesus doesn't say, you know, forgive all the people who trespass against you, all the people that sinned against you, except for. There's no except for in this, is there? We're supposed to forgive. How about the people who annoy us? Yep. Oh, that's the one that I have a hard time with. I don't, I don't physically lash out at too many people. And I'm blessed. There's not a lot of people who have ever like really powerfully hurt me, but everybody annoys me. <laughs> Are any of you that same way? I mean, even the people I love annoy me. And it's hard for me to forget that sometimes. But what does Jesus say? No, let go of that. Even when people didn't try to hurt us, we forgive them. Even people who did try to hurt us, we forgive them. Even people who don't know they hurt us, we forgive them. Even people who don't think that we should be hurt by what they did, we must forgive them. Even people who will not ask for forgiveness, yes, we must forgive them. Why? Because forgiveness is about our hearts. Forgiveness is about what we are holding on to. I've heard it said before, forgiveness is like us drinking poison, expecting it to hurt the other person. Forgiveness is when we are offended or annoyed or angry or mad and we hold on to it and we remember it and we stew on it and it kills us. But when we forgive, we take that offense and we let it down and we give it to God and we say, God, you have forgiven me. Of all the things that I've ever done, God, I am going to forgive them and we leave them in God's hands. That's what forgiveness is. People need to be forgiven when they've wronged us, when they've hurt us, when they've attacked us, when they've offended us, when they've disagreed with us. People need to be for, We need to forgive people even if they're not in a right relationship with God. We need to forgive people even who are wrong because Jesus commands, he says, look, you need to forgive other people just as God has forgiven you. How do we do this? How do we do this? It's an attitude of the heart, folks. It's when we think of that person who hurt us or who offended us or who annoyed us or who did whatever they did. It's when we, first of all, we say to God, God, I forgive them. God, you are my king. You see my heart. You know all about me. And I forgive them. I'm not going to hold this against them anymore. I'm not going to dwell on this and stay bitter about this anymore. I'm going to let this go. It's something that happens as a position of our heart. It's, it's, it's an attitude of trust that says, God, I trust you to deal with them. We can't change that person, even if we stay mad. We're not going to change their heart or change. They're not going to see our anger and say, oh, I better straighten up. No, we need to trust them to God. And so it is an attitude of our hearts that says, I am going to let go of this offense. I'm going to release them. And God, if I find that hard to do, I'm going to pray to you, Lord, help me to forgive them. Help me not to keep chewing in my mind over all the things that I would say and all the things that I'm going to do if I ever see them again. No, Lord, help me to let them go. Because Lord, you have forgiven me of all the things that I've done. Our mission has become more like Jesus. At the end of his life on earth, in Luke 23, 32, we're told that there were two men who were both criminals who were led out with Jesus to be executed. All three of them were hung on the cross. 
It says in Luke 23, 33, that when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus, who was being put to death by these people, Jesus who was hanging there, Jesus who was perfect, Jesus who didn't deserve any of it, Jesus who had nothing on his own to have to ever be even forgiven of, Jesus speaking about these people who weren't even asking for forgiveness, Jesus speaking about these people who weren't even feeling like they were wrong, Jesus speaking about these people who weren't quitting it, they continued to kill him. Jesus speaking about them said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Church, we are called to be like Jesus, and Jesus told us directly that we are to forgive the way God has forgiven us, and so our stance must be the same with arms wide open and with hands open to God. We say, Father, forgive them. And so in our hearts, we also, we say, Father, I forgive them for what they've done to me, for what they meant to do to me, because that's the example that makes a difference. That's what Jesus showed us, and that's what it means to follow after him. We're going to talk about this more next week. Next week, we're going, to, we're going to get into this reconciliation side of things. And what if things are not just? How do I work at justice while also being a person of forgiveness? We're going to talk about that some more. And if you need something to study today when you go home, look at Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, there's a number of little stories and teachings that, that happen there. The very last chunk of Matthew chapter 18, Jesus deals tells a story, tells a parable about a fellow who was forgiven but would not forgive. Check it out. Read it some more. Let's come back next week and talk about forgiveness. Worship team, will you come forward as I pray a closing prayer? Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Lord, we recognize that we don't deserve your grace and we don't deserve your mercy and we do not deserve to be forgiven. But Lord, I know that through Jesus Christ you have forgiven me. Help me to continue to forgive those in my life who have wronged me and who have wronged the people I love. Lord, help us to be a church that can forgive each other even when we annoy each other, (laughs) even when things aren't the way that we'd like them to be, even these things that we think of as just little offenses, little deals. Lord, help us to forgive those things and to keep that slate wiped clean so that there's no room for bitterness or jealousy or envy or anger to divide us. But Lord, help us to stay unified in our love. Lord, show us your way. We cannot do this on our own. But Father, King, we come to you now to be under your authority, to be under the blood of Jesus Christ, and to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be more than what we are. Amen.